You are now entering the Pandemic Podcast. This is the Pandemic Podcast. I'm Dustin, and today my guest is Eddie Walker. Eddie Walker is a friend of mine from a long time ago. Um, I don't even know how many years we've been friends, Eddie, but just introduce yourself and tell us just a little bit about your background and and why you want to talk about this crazy book, Outwitting the Devil. And that's our topic today is Outwitting the Devil by Napoleon Hill. We're going to sort of break down small parts of this book and just give our interpretation of what's going on with this book and what's going on in the world today. So Eddie, just tell us a little bit about yourself and just kind of give us a, an introduction. Okay. Yeah. And thanks for having me on. Um, I will have to say this is my first podcast, so um, it's exciting. Yeah. You and I met, uh, gosh, 2000, around 2000 when I was making that documentary about movie pictures, it was yes. back then. Yeah. You were making you were making a documentary about a movie, like an independent movie theater, and I was a projectionist there. You were, yep. And we became friends and just kind of hit it off with movies, with books, with different um, arts. I mean, your artwork, um, just all the different areas, kind of in the art world, and um, as we well made as short, short films together, right? We did, yeah. We made short films together. You actually contributed a lot to the making of the documentary you were in it and it was a lot of fun um and so yeah it was a really cool experience and it was a it was a great birth to our friendship that you know has kind of been there since then and even though you live in new jersey it's it's like you and i can pick up the phone and it's like we hadn't missed the conversation you know a day hasn't skipped and gone by yeah it's one of those friendships it's a forever friendship yeah it is <laughs> it is um yeah, so, gosh, my background, um, I mean, really, I worked in ministry, in a Christian ministry, for 20 years, and um, which kind of gave me a lot of insight into, I guess, the Christian world from different perspectives or different, I guess, a different perception of it once you get into it. And, um, but my, I guess my thoughts have always been open to a lot of things bigger than just the church um, to the spiritual. And I mean, I know there's no really boundaries. I hate putting labels on anything because I think it limits things. So um, to just try to try to stay in, in the walls within like a Christian world, I think is very limiting or anything is very limiting. So I think this book was pretty incredible. You introduced me to it. I'd never heard of this book and I thought it was really, you know, incredible. It, it changed my perception of how I guess I've always thought even growing up as a child, growing up Catholic, and then later on in life working in a Christian ministry in a non-denom non-denominational Christian ministry, which different is very different from being Catholic. And yeah. from that end, um, the book, I think really it's, it's kind of an eye opening new look at the way I think everything works especially with all the new studies today with quantum physics and, you know, the quantum field and the way the laws of attraction and everything from, you know, the past 20 years that's led up to now, 
I mean, it's it's really you know it's 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 a really important book. I think, especially for now. I don't think we could have understood this book twenty years ago the way we do now. And, and and that's the way it kind of happened. It was it was written in 1938 and it was put out just a few years ago. And I think that was kind of the idea is that this would have not been able for for the mind at the time, the collective mind, to even interpret what it means to speak to the devil. Because in mm -hmm. this book, Napoleon Hill sits down and has an interview with the devil and you know i guess we have to personify the devil with some kind of big horns and you know a, a pitchfork and those were like how we interpreted this this negative field or this negative energy we call it negative but like in the book he says i'm the i'm the negative force inside of the atom right um which means he's just the thing that allows experience to happen right that's yeah that's a different outlook then let's say how catholicism you know was it was it catholicism that really pushed the devil forward and kind of put jesus on the back burner right they, they really led with sin and the devil right right i mean yeah i think the devil was he i mean i think before the devil according to the bible he had a different purpose than what he has now his purpose originally in heaven was a worshiper. He was the main one that was in, he was in charge of all worship to God. And that was during all the years in the Bible that says when God was creating the universe and creating everything. So he had a different function. And then his function, and, his function changed when man came about. So when, when man was created, the devil's position changed into being a, a more of a tempting type of angel like the devil fell they said but the devil kind of came down and and tempted eve right like it's sort of all that that mm -hmm. temptation that's in our mind is right. con considered the devil but is it just the negative force is it the negative thought forms next to the you know like how do you how do you interpret the devil today in your life well, like the way this book, I mean, in short, like to bring the past and then up to this, we always think the devil is this, this, you know, thing that if you do bad in life and you don't follow God and you go to hell, the devil or his demons are going to torture you for eternity in this place called hell or Hades or whatever you want to call it. And eventually um, through series of things with that list in Revelation that eventually the devil and everyone that's followed him will be thrown into the lake of fire for eternity to burn forever and ever and ever. That's the view that we've always had from Catholicism, from everyone's point of view of the devil. He's standing there, the red thing with the bifurcated, you know, tail and the big pitchfork and all that stuff and everything. Um, but this book really reveals a lot about that. It's not that at all. It's, he's not that it's it, but that's the image that, he wants you to have because it's a control device for him to make you think that's what he is. If he can make you think that, then you develop fear. And then through fear is where he controls you. And, 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 and so like the Bible was kind of, I mean, the devil, the creation of the devil seems in religion to be cherry picked from the Bible. Right. Because I know there are some interpretations of like, 
Hades being um, the place where um, they used to burn their trash, right? And like the gnashing of teeth was the dogs fighting over the the dead carcass. And it was a place in town yeah. where you would literally throw all your trash and you would light it on fire. And like, that was a symbol for if you don't live by these words or this wisdom of God, that your life would kind of go into the trash, right? Like, right, right. And so that makes more sense to me to, to think like, oh, if you don't, if you're not, you know, if, if you don't honor your brother and sister, or if you don't like do the right thing, your life will, your guilt will do things to you. Like things will make you feel a certain way and your life will start to not be successful. Right. So that could be like an interpretation of hell. But in this book, he's saying that the devil is in our mind. Right. And, the, right? The, and he the, is, he is. Yeah. And the interesting thing about what you were just saying about Hades the interesting thing is the church took that, that, that place of like, it could be bad for you. Your, the outcome could be really horrible. Like they look at it like that's Hades. It's hot. We burn trash. Your life could be trash and bad. The church took that and almost turned it into something very literal to use it as a tool of fear to make people run to the church. That's, that's my view on it because that's what we grew up as kids thinking, well, there's this horrible place that you are going to go and burn if you do not follow God. And do you think that was to even prop up the idea of a savior even more? Like, let's create a bad guy so that you need a savior, right? Like, it seems like humanity, that's why a president, like one person is voted into office, which is a weird idea anyway, but that person is like put up higher than, than he's needed to be. Like, he's almost like a father figure or, or a savior, right? Like that's why people are so upset if the president doesn't match their values because it's like they're God almost. And mm -hmm. so my thing is I, I like this book right now because, you know, there's a pandemic happening, right. obviously. Right. Um, and it seems like they talk a lot about science and I get that. Mm -hmm. And the vaccine is almost a savior, right? Like people are, are, are sort of virtue signaling and putting pictures on Instagram of like, Oh my God, I did my part. I rolled up my sleeve. I got this vaccine. And, right. and that's great. If science has stepped up and, and really, you know, made things easier for us to deal with viruses and all that. But where in this whole pandemic, have you heard anyone's faith being talked about? I mean, is is how do you see the devil playing out in this pandemic um he completely is in the middle of it from especially from the from the point of view from napoleon hill's book because that's where i think he's not you know he's not this thing that's standing there with the pitchfork he's in your minds like you said like you said and he's through this pandemic everywhere through fear everything in this whole pandemic is completely fear driven fear of losing my job, fear of losing my house, fear of getting sick, fear of dying. What if I get this and die? Fear of getting my grandparents sick or someone else, God forbid, I get sick, right? Yeah. So fear is the tool that is being used. And I'm, I'm on the, the chapter you talked about, Seeds of Fear, mm -hmm. page 140. Yeah. Um, there is a part that I have highlighted, and I'll just read a little bit of it. Um, he says, you fear the devil and refuse to trust your God. Therefore, you have but one source available through which you appropriate the benefit of universal power. And that is by trusting and using your own power of thought. This is the direct road to the universal storehouse of an infinite intelligence. 
there is no other road available to any human being. Yeah, that's that's so, powerful. I mean, think about what you just read. He just gave the one of the largest keys to freedom as an individual. He said, you know, basically the benefit, basically you you have the power to unlock the universal storehouse of infinite intelligence basically by the power of your own thought trusting in using your own power of your own thought that's you trust and you basically use the power of your own thought and only the fear of the devil stops you from accessing that power Mm -hmm. right and so that it perfectly goes into what you were just saying about the pandemic the fear is the one stepping stone from unlocking the key to all of healing, all of abundance, mm-hmm. right? All of this stuff right. is right there right. on the other side of fear. So how, how do we deal with that? I mean, tell me some of the stuff in this chapter. Do you have anything that you highlighted or anything that you can bring oh, yeah. up? Yeah, I mean, I, I highlighted that very, that very bit that you just did. And then even as you go on, he even says, why have we earthbound not found the road to infinite intelligence sooner. And he says, because I have intercepted you and led you off the path by planting in your mind thoughts which destroy your power to use your minds constructively. So almost like the movie Inception, he has planted thoughts in your head to make you think. And when he does it, you think that they're they're your own thoughts. So you buy into them immediately. And so you go right along. There's no... There's no confrontation within your own mind. You think that's my own thoughts. I'm going with it. He sticks it in your head to completely get you off the path. And he even says, remember, your mind attracts that which your mind dwells. Yes. And that is so, so so important. It's like the laws of attraction. Yeah. It's like the ignorance you have about your own, your own tool, your own power is how he controls yeah. you. It's, it's almost like the most important, one of the most important, because I think there's another extremely important tool that we have as humans that we don't recognize as what it is. It's like having a huge, um, I don't know, you're trying to get through a wall and you've got this huge machine gun that will get you through it and you look at it, you have no clue. You see it every day, you touch it every day, but you don't even use it. But yeah, absolutely. Like, I mean, we have this big thing, our thoughts, that he has crippled us to honestly not even realizing the power of it, to not even realizing the strength, how much we could change our lives if we took control of our own thoughts. That is huge because he's completely fooled everyone into going down this path of getting you off of keeping your own thoughts your own and getting you down a path of anything that goes into your head, you think, well, it's yours. So I'm just going to listen to it. And he says that he uses things like schools and Mm -hmm. churches to continue to make people drift and drifting in the book is basically not thinking for yourself, not having a critical mind. Right. 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 It's not, it's not right. Not having, your own thoughts, um, being influenced by the thoughts of other people, other friends, family, church uh, leaders, whoever, and just going right along with it and not questioning it and not even stopping and saying, wait a minute, 
do I believe that? And maybe I don't. And maybe I want to do something different and breaking free of that and becoming independent in your own thought and using an exercise in your own thought, you can break free of that. And that feels really difficult right now. Like an example is to walk around and see everybody wearing masks, two mm -hmm. masks. Um, and if you're not like, I don't wear a mask when I go outside. Um, I don't really, I'm not into the fear part of this. I'm into the responsibility. You know, there's some kind of respiratory infection, you know, infectious disease or whatever, or virus, not even a disease, there's a virus going around. Um, you know, so if that's something that I need to wear a mask when I go inside or if I'm around someone who may be compromised, I'm good with that. But walking a, on a path next to the river in nature, I'm not wearing two masks or one no. mask. Like, but when you're around people who are doing it, you can almost see the fear in their mm -hmm. eyes. Yeah, you can. Yeah, you can. Right? You really can. Because people, no, there's been nothing like this that's ever happened to us. I mean, the last time was you know, a hundred plus years ago. And if you think about it, they didn't really travel back then like we do. I mean, this spread, you know, globally. And when, but back then when it spread, um, everyone just stayed home. Now we just, we still have to go to meetings. We still have to fly and go to different countries. We still have to go visit someone here, someone there. I mean, it spread like really fast, really, you know, like wildfire this time. Um, and, and do you think that this is pointing out how much faith people do not have in any sort of higher power or their own power? I think right? so. Like, I think so. It, you, you know, I think it's it's kind of but it's kind of like a I think it goes hand in hand of what people don't realize with God either, because people rely, say, the church when they pray, you should pray. OK, say if you pray, God doesn't say not to pray. But if you pray, it's for a reason to align yourself with you're tapping into his power that he's already given you. But most people pray with the, oh, please do this for me kind of, um, a yeah, desperate a desperate plea. plea, a desperate, like, I'm going to pray for my sister because of this or that. Well, one, you can never, you can pray for someone's safety or whatever, but you can't ever change another person's life. They have to change their own life. But um, I think like when Jesus came here, he did everything, and it's really important that he did everything as a man. He didn't come here as a God, because if he would have came here as a God, there's no way you or I could ever duplicate his actions. Because it's like, well, look, you went and did that. Now, how do you expect me to do that? You're God. You're, you're part of God. So how am I supposed to duplicate what you just did? You had divine heavenly powers with you. I don't. So it's really not fair at that point where he didn't. Is that what is that what he was doing in the desert when the devil was telling him like throw yourself off this this rock or yeah. you know like do this and 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 he was his, that was an interpretation of Jesus's mind when he was like alone with no distractions in the de right that was like the desert's like a metaphor for like being away from other people's influence right. and that when you are like that, the devil speaks loudly and that temptation, you almost have to go in silence or prayer or mm -hmm. meditation and and face that negative voice inside of you and then build a tolerance that it's not going to sway you. Because I think it'll always be there, right? That negative voice that gives you an idea that you're like, oh, I'm, that's, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to go there. I'm not going right. to pick up that 
substance if you're addicted to something or, you know, you'll even have a thought about someone getting hit by a car or, or you know, just some weird thing. And you're just like, you don't you don't go down that right. path. But some people do. Um, so my question is, if the negative force in the atom is the devil, then the positive force right. is it God. Is. Yes. Right. But what is what what is God like? God is God is is light. God is good. God is love. God is all the positive things, and which love is the is the strongest force in the universe. It's it's stronger than anything else, and you know even, um, I mean this book really kind of points that out very well with, like say with the devil, you know. Um, but like you said, he is the negative charge in the atom. And like he is a minute ago, like what you said, he's in this world with us and people are going to have these negative thoughts. And I think that's what this book really, it points out and it, it really makes everything a lot clearer and simpler. I think this book really simplifies a lot of the stuff that we've dealt with of why. Why are all these things bad? Why is all this? And I think you even said that's the was the beginning of his journey. He wanted to know, what's all this negativity in the earth? Like what's, why is there so much poverty and sickness and pain and, you know, people, why people hurt so much? Why is there cancer? Why is all this here? And I think. And that's the question I have, right? Like that's the big thing that I, even if life is good, I'll still go like, man, there's some messed up stuff going on and it just doesn't like resonate with my heart. And I, and I wonder why, why do I have this feeling of not resonating with you know, certain terrible things happening, people losing, you know, somebody dying in childbirth or somebody, you know, getting into a car accident and two of the parents die and the kids are now orphaned. And like, these are these, these things that happen and you're just like, really? Like, did that, did right. that have to, ha- you know, did that, how, why, how does that make sense? And I know we're not supposed to understand the mind of God, I guess. Um, but sometimes it does leave me with kind of a like, you know, I got some, I think you've said that before. Like yeah. I got some questions for God when I get on the other side right, or wherever right. that and is. And you know, what's interesting is this book kind of answered that and simplified some of those questions for me, because instead of thinking of, okay, why is, why, why is this thing here? I understand more now why it's here. And I understand what it is now, instead of thinking it's the devil, it's just, it's negativity. And think about it. If you're God and God made man, so he makes us and he wants you want your creation to love you wholeheartedly. But if all it ever knows is love and good and everything, then how does it how do you can you say, is it really making a choice? It's all it knows is love. So it doesn't have anything else to choose from. So if we have something that's not love and peace and caring and good health and happiness and joy, if they can experience something else and say, I don't want that, or I do want that then, and then will only God know if his creation chooses him because there's something else to choose from. That's what I understand the devil. to be. He's the negative force for us to have a choice because before his role changed from what I understand from being a worshiper to being yeah. this evil or well, just being a negative, a negative 
and see that's my old mind the evil thing it's not evil it's negative he's negative he's a negative charge so we could have a choice to experience something different because before man was made that didn't need to be it didn't need to be it didn't exist there was no purpose for it so i mean i don't know if he just drew a short straw or what happened but you know he got jealous when god made us and i'm sure god knew what was going to happen but he got extremely jealous because we are above him and that's why napoleon hill could command him to sit down and talk with him because he he and you and i as as human beings have more power over him and he hated that he hated that that's interesting yeah that's interesting it's interesting that you say that because that's because he does he sits him down not not only not an interview but like a um yeah interrogation he wants answers he wants to know how do you do this how do you get in the minds of these you know i mean we're like godlike beings i mean jesus said it it's come to be that our thoughts can create basically our circumstance or or our thoughts are magnetic and bring other circumstances of similar thought like it says here in you know on page 144 um he talks about hypnotic rhythm hypnotic rhythm is something resembling a magnet which attracts things for which it has magnetically a magnetic affinity is that correct that's the question and the answer from the devil is yes that is correct That is why the poverty-stricken herd themselves Mm -hmm. into the same communities. It explains that old saying, misery loves company. It also explains why people who begin to succeed in any undertaking find the success multiplies with less effort as time goes on. All successful people use hypnotic rhythm, either consciously or unconsciously, by expecting and demanding success. The demand becomes a habit. Hypnotic rhythm takes over the habit and the law of harmonious attraction translated, translated into mm-hmm. a physical equivalent. Now, this is written in 1938. Yeah. It's, it's pretty wild. I mean, he, he uses earlier in the book, like to describe what hypnotic rhythm is. It's almost like when you start to learn an instrument. Remember, he's like it, it, in the beginning, it's a little tough. And you play one note and one note and one note, then two, then two, then one, two, and then so on. And, and as it continues on before you know it. You can do it without thinking about it, and then it becomes this rhythm, and it becomes this uh, binary rhythm. This your body does it without your mind even thinking about it, and it becomes like. So he's playing. Yeah, he's he playing is. us like and, instruments, which goes back to your fact of him being a head of music yeah. in heaven, right? That's kind of a weird connection. It's him being, you know, and and vibration. Everything is vibration. Music is vibration. Music is vibration hypnotic rhythm, right? It's like. And so it gets you kind of like when you listen to music, like if you listen to something that's like rap or strong rock or you feel aggression, you feel mm-hmm. that feeling the music's giving you. And then if you listen to something emotional, you start to feel sad. And so it's kind of like that. Yep. We're kind of being impulsed with these rhythms. And so it really matters who you hang out with, what you put in your body, right? Like what you look at, what, what, what you feed your mind, what content mm-hmm. you see on television or on your phone. And it's wild because it seems like now it's all around us. You, you can't do anything without right. seeing fear. I mean, fear is everywhere you go and it's being labeled, um, you know, a, a, a pandemic or, 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 or a virus 
it but, is fear. but the virus is it fear. Is fear. It's fear of all those things we said earlier. Fear of dying, loss, whatever. Fear of loss, some sort of loss. Fear of my life changing in an uncontrollable way that I'm very uncomfortable with. And I think that's what some of this is kind of almost like a third language to some people because they've never had to really stop. And it takes effort to stop and take time to reevaluate your life and think about the things that are in your mind and the choices that you're making and really take an effort to be aware of all of them and change them. That takes a lot of effort, but it, it's not that hard once you start doing it, but it just takes a choice. It takes that choice. Yeah, it feels like the hypnotic rhythm can go in the other direction. Like I started meditating and now, you know, I've realized that meditation is the thing that's building the muscle of my mind and not allowing like jealous thoughts or right. thoughts of, of lack. They they seem to be at a distance. It's almost like they used to be right next to me. And now they're like, you know, across the field mm -hmm. behind a fence. And, you know, there's a distance. And, and so I don't, right. they don't have my attention. The more I meditate, the less those negative thoughts can gather, can get my attention. So the idea of that makes me want to do it more. So I don't meditate now. I used to never meditate or I used to be like, oh, I should meditate. But now I meditate because it's like taking a vitamin. Right. It, it, it makes right. me feel better because it stops the hypnotic or it cuts the hypnotic well, rhythm Well, the thing is, like, like he says on page 142, he said, basically, hypnotic rhythm is going to happen to you. If he says, like, if the force of hypnotic rhythm is not voluntarily applied to attain a, de you know, a definite end, may, uh, may it be a great danger? And he says, yes, for the reason that it operates automatically. So hypnotic rhythm, it operates automatically. And he said, if it is not consciously applied to attain a desired end, it can and it will operate to attain an undesired end. So hypnotic rhythm is taking place in every one of our lives. It's the stuff we focus on, then we listen to, we listen to the bullshit that people say, and you go, oh yeah, and you just buy into it, and you go, and then your body and your mind starts getting into this hypnotic rhythm of that negativity, and you go into it without even realizing it. So it happens, whether you want it to or not, it's gonna be in your life. It's up to you to say, okay, now I'm gonna change my hypnotic rhythm into something positive, like you were saying, when you meditate, now those things that are there that, were, that yeah. you don't like, but now you see, and however you, however people need to do it, I think that's a great illustration. Like you see that on the other side of a fence that's further away or something that continually gets further and further. So that makes it more real that it's, it's not connected to you and you're changing that to the point where you won't even see the fence and it's not even a part of it. But it's a daily, continual practice to keep yourself in line with that hypnotic rhythm and say, I'm going to keep mine clean. And I think the end result of this book would be great to break it down into some key factors of what we all kind of need to do. Say, like, keep my hypnotic rhythm straight. Um, be aware of my thoughts. Because, you know, one thing I'll share with you when I was reading this thing about thoughts, and I don't know where it came from, whatever, my own thoughts, God, whatever, I don't know. And because I questioned it to make sure it wasn't anything, because it wasn't anything negative. But when I was reading this, I kind of felt like all the negative thoughts that come into our mind and all the stuff that happens, I was like, we're not created that way. 
that's what he is. The, this negative force, we call him the devil, call it whatever you want. It's, that's what it does. It's like saying like gasoline is gasoline. That's what it is. Uh, electricity is electricity. It's, you, it's like saying electricity is bad. It's not bad. It has a purpose. This, the devil has a purpose. His purpose, that's yeah. why when Napoleon Hill said, why do you do these things to hurt people? And he wasn't like, oh, because I enjoy it. He was like, it's just what I'm made to do. It's like, that's, that's what I am. It's like, if I'm, if I'm a bird, I'm meant to fly. People don't question, why does a bird fly? Or, you know, does, my light is on, why? There's electricity. But if you go touch it, it can kill you. It is true that like negative thoughts come and if you can, like I was talking about meditating and creating space and like not believing in these thoughts that you can kind of change your life because what you kind of think about and dwell on, like this book says, you sort of attract that similar vibration or whatever you call it, your life circumstance. Right. Um, but there is a thing that I had to really deal with and I've been doing this work for almost 10 years um, because, I, you know, as you know, I grew up in, in a lot of uh, trauma and I, I, I suffer from uh, deep negative thoughts that are entrenched in my brain, um, patterns that come up that are tied to abandonment issues, you know, things that like, I can't see them coming and they're just in front of me all of a sudden and I have to deal with these, these chemicals pumping through my body. And so I think something that the book doesn't really talk about because maybe this is a new kind of science maybe that's come out mm -hmm. is, you know, these thoughts also trigger like, um, like cortisol and like it creates chemicals to dump in the brain into your, you know, into your spine and create mm -hmm. fight or flight. And, you know, it takes you over physically and makes you almost like want to do something, run out of the room or, or react in a way that's, unconscious right like yeah. so there's another element too like i meditate but i also become mindful of thoughts that try and to re to induce those chemicals in my brain because even though those thoughts now are like further down across the field and behind a wall or whatever um they still pop up and sure. they say hey you want you want to go you want to go you want to go down this road like you want this dump and i have to like use my training from meditation and you know the idea that thoughts are clouds and just be like that's just something that's coming up that's a sensation in my body and the thought is attached to that sensation whether it's abandonment issues whether it's suppressed anger whatever it is addiction you know addiction speaks loudly and so i just wanted to bring up that point and and go into what you were talking about making the points of this book to give to people kind of like a you know, what, what you got out of it or, or like what you want people to get out of this, this new understanding of the devil that you have? Yeah. I mean, um, <clears throat> I think, I mean, one, I, I, I would want to like collectively put all that together and then we could like cover that maybe on another podcast, but like for now, like what you were just saying, um, I think some of that comes into, um, like what he said in that chapter we were talking about, on fear about the hypnotic rhythm because you kind of get into like what you're describing sounds like a hypnotic rhythm when those things come up and they your body kind of gets into a pattern and it responds to that thought 
which triggers that emotion, which then triggers the action of running or whatever it may be. Because those are the three things that's how that's how the flow of that works, right? Your thoughts drive your action. Your thoughts drive your emotions. When your emotions drive your actions, so yeah, if it's like a like a cycle. Yeah, right, it's a cycle. It's just it's. I mean, it's it used to be kind of like oh, I don't know if I believe that, but it's been proven now scientifically. It's been proven now medically. It's been proven with the quantum physics, with the Joe Dispenza's, with all that stuff. You know, all that's been proven now. Everyone understands those three things are connected. And I've even heard that it's sensation first, then thought, then emotion. Hmm. You know, it was that you have a right. You have a sensation like you have a fear or, or, or abandonment. And then that abandonment triggers a thought. And then you think about it and you start to have emotions about that thought. But it's really a sensation coming up in the body. Right. And it can be something that creates that sensation. It can be something that you've experienced before yes. that, it, that triggers that thought that can trigger. It. Yeah. yeah. And almost I almost even dislike that word trigger because i think people use it so much now as a crutch like what's my trigger it's my trigger it's my trigger that it's it makes it okay to live with and i think one of the things for me with that or avoid it or avoid yeah yeah, or or avoid avoid, right and then just say stick my fingers in my ear and never deal with it um but i think it which is a cancer culture right that's Mm -hmm. kind of what's going on with cancer culture is kind of like i don't want to see that that bothers me move that away from my vision right Right. You're right. Yeah, exactly. Um, People want to just focus on the things that are good in their life and that's it. And they don't really want to look at anything else. Um, But I think awareness is a huge element of like what you were saying, kind of like what you were saying in the last podcast about with the fence and how things get further away. I think no matter what, once you know this negative force, the, the devil, its job is to always, always keep trying. It doesn't mean like when he describes these successful people that he doesn't have his grips on because they have control of their own thoughts. It doesn't mean that he doesn't daily try to get in there and get them back. He will always, 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 always mess with you. That's his job to endlessly endlessly never stop messing with your head always that's his job and he will do it relentlessly till he doesn't exist anymore or till we don't exist on this four-dimensional plane and we're off somewhere else that he can't mess with us but that's like it's such a good point eddie that i don't want to to deal with but i think it simplifies it though think about it it simplifies it when you know where it's coming from it's not real i grew i grew up very different from you but had similar abandonment experiences i mean in long story short i was basically a mistake when i was born Um, my mom gave me to my grandparents when i was young to live Um, finally came back my biological father did not ever come look for me i found him what four years ago three years ago um and i had all these things in my head i grew up as a kid always feeling that feeling of you know like when you go stay at an aunt or an uncle's house for the weekend it's family but it's not your house right it's not your home that's was my childhood i felt like i always lived with relatives and it's like i guess as i i always wondered like well why but as i got older i understood well it was their loss wasn't mine they missed out by not having me around it wasn't the other way around I shouldn't be the one that suffers because you left me. You're the one that missed yeah. out. 
And so like the things that you've experienced in your life, it had nothing to do with you. It had nothing to do with me. The reason my mom brought me and my, my grandmother, she had all the reasons. She thought I'd have a better life, this and that. She couldn't afford three kids at the time or whatever it may be. It's like that thing where he even says in the book, when he's talking about how the school system and parents are some of the major contributors to children following him and believing it's it, because when we hear, you, you know, when parents go into the whole thing about helping the kids too much, helping with their homework, helping with this, helping with that, kids don't hear mom and dad help me. Kids hear, I'm not good enough to do this on my own. So why do we hear the opposite of that? Why does the immediate thing? Because that's what he does. He takes that experience and turns it negatively and makes it negatively. And it can be a negative thing. Who knows what he put in your mom's head or my mom's head to make them do something really bad. My mom threw me across the kitchen floor when I was a kid. I was like six yeah. by my leg and I slammed into the counter. Yeah. That wasn't, that was more than a thought. That was a thought and emotion and an action that she put into effect. So and that communicated something to you as a child that your brain had to try to figure out yeah. what does this mean? And so your you know, logical brain wasn't even really online yet. So then you've interpreted that through some kind of abstract idea of love is conditional. Love is, you know, I better act this way or I'm going to get hurt. Right. You know, like how crazy that a child can experience like it says in on page 143 children are forced to take on the nature of all influences of those around them unless their own thoughts are stronger than the yep. influence and i think maybe because right? of what was going on i never I, I i had the thoughts of i wonder why but i never let them consume me i think i never let them get into my heart now that we're sitting here talking i think i never really let them get deep into my heart it, I think they got in a little bit, but I, I don't think they got enough to make me resent and hate or or get really, really to a dark place with all those things. I just figured, you know what? I'm not going to stay in this position. I'm going to rise above it and be better. And what gave you that power to think like that? Because you are like an optimistic person. You're always really positive. You look at the world in a really po you feel like you're positive every time I talk to you. Like what gave you that strength? I don't coming from that childhood uh, i'm not sure exactly you know I, I just think it was just realizing that it was not my fault that all this stuff that my mom is doing and my grandmother had absolutely nothing to do with me i'm just dealing with their crap so i'm in this situation that you put me in now how am i going to make my place where i'm at better where like even it was my little world sitting on the bed playing with my toys that's good i'm making that happy I'm not going to be affected by all the bullshit that's going on outside this room. And I just basically not ignored it, but it didn't have anything good that it was going to give me. It would bring stress or, or anxiety into my heart and make me upset. And because anytime that I did take on those things, that's how it would make me feel like, you know, almost even like stomach aches and stuff like that. It affects your body from a, from a metaphysical end. All those stressful things affect you. So I don't know. I think I just have always had this. I'm going to make it through. I've always had the there's always an answer to every problem. I don't care what it is. There's always an answer. You know, even if it means to leave it, there's an answer. There's always an answer to, to get it away from your life if it's going to be harmful or something like that. Or there's always a way to fix something. If 
if everyone is on the same page to fix it. And sometimes you can't fix certain things because certain people are involved and don't want to be part of that, you know. And it's funny because you talked about it's a pretty interesting story that you found your father, your your true biological father just recently and you found him and he passed away like how, like very quickly. Yeah, yeah two months two months right? later. And you know, I mean a lot of people were like you weren't upset with him because he never came to find you. I was like no, in fact, he was this old dude that didn't have much. And, you know, uh, Tanya and I um, wanted to help get him more teeth and get him clothes. And we were like embracing him with love. I mean, because honestly, I mean, if you want to go to, say, the Bible, there's some simple things like this book simplifies what the devil is. He has negativity. Any negative thought, anything negative, any negative emotion I have comes from this. So I don't want it. And I have power above it easy enough. So God says, I have one obligation to my fellow man, and it's to love him. That's it. I can't judge him. I can't condemn him. I can't do anything to any other human being but give him love. And that's the only job we're supposed to do. So you see someone, you're supposed to help them. You're supposed to give them kindness. You're supposed to reach out to them. If someone's down, put your arm around them. What can you do to brighten up their day? I don't know. It's just the way I've always kind of looked at things. And it makes my life a lot better. I'll tell you that. It makes me a whole lot happier. And, and isn't that the idea of Jesus is to is to do to live the way Jesus like he, he left an example of how to inherit the kingdom yeah. of heaven. Right. By acting in right. love. Right. Exactly. I mean, he <clears throat> the stuff he did on this on this planet. Like we were saying in the last podcast, most people look at it's beyond their reach, but he, he didn't. I mean, he it wasn't beyond their reach. He came here as a human being. He came here as a man, not as a God. And everything that he did, all the miracles that people look at, it's like, wow, he turned the water into wine. He did all these things. He did it for a reason. He wasn't doing it to boast. You'll never do it if you're trying to show off, ever. It won't work. It's got to yeah. be a reason to help bring like love and kindness or peace or show people like God's love or something. It's got to have a, a better purpose for it than just you showing off that you've got these, um, you have a, a connection to these, um, I guess, vibrations in the, in the universe that are positive because the devil's got all these negative and God's got all these positive. It's interesting because there's one part where in the Bible, it seems kind of unrealistic but he uses a mountain. And we've heard the scripture before where he says, you know, if someone says to this mountain to be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that he already has this, then it shall be done for him. Like he's speaking, that's total quantum physics. He's speaking in past, total. past present and, and uh, forward tense all at the same time. Like if you believe that you, and he used a mountain because it seems almost impossible to throw a mountain into the ocean. Right. To move. So if you say yeah, it and right? you yeah. really believe it, and there's a reason for it that you're not just showing off, that you believe it, then it – and you believe in your heart now that it will be done in the future, then if you believe it now, then it will – and you believe that you've already gotten it. You have to believe it like you've already gotten it. Then it – Yes, like you have to visualize, visualize it, it like you own it. Yeah. And it's almost like if someone came up to you and said, Dustin, you know, here's you or you got a lottery ticket and you won, you know, the lottery and you just won 
50 million dollars and you're like whoa that feeling of i won i got it whoa like you have to own it just like that and then it will be done but not many people want to go through that and say all right i'm gonna this is what i need this is what i want and that's what napoleon hill is talking about with people that are successful they visualize and their thoughts are determined and they go and their goals are determined and they really go for it without any like letting anything get in their way you know they're determined and they move forward and they're willing to pay the price and charge forward and they because they see it and they act like they own it already and once they see it and they own it and they feel like they've already gotten it it starts coming to them it's it's the law of attraction it's everything yeah. and that that's yeah. that's the law of attraction yeah and that's and it's funny because the law of attraction has got a, gotten kind of wrapped up mm -hmm. in this new age you know, fad that they want to kind of write off now, like, oh, it was, it was self-help. No. It was new age. Like it's not real. It's just, but when you break it down like that from the Bible, it's showing you that, you know, that's why the Bible is still relevant today because the truths in it are deeply and timelessly true. Like it doesn't back then and today, it doesn't matter the technology difference that truth has always been the truth and will always be the truth. Yeah. And it, you hear it, all these people like these, you know, professional athletes or anyone who's successful, they see yeah. their success. They visualize it. And yep. they even skateboarders, you know, I, I, I was watching something this morning and the skateboarder was like, he says, I, I don't do a trick until I visualize it. And because it, it's important if he's jumping right. down a bunch of stairs that he sees himself rolling away because he could get really hurt, you know? It's like using the power of thought to create what you want mm -hmm. in life is is timeless is. wisdom. So, And so I, seeing I yourself mean, without what? those feelings, to stop and see yourself without those yes. feelings and know that those feelings come from this negative force and know that those feelings have no power over you unless you give them power. And the only way you give them power is by believing that those thoughts are actually yours. One more question. Yeah. What is your favorite story in the Bible about Jesus? My favorite story, I think, is the one that we were talking about earlier, where he, I don't know, because the one where he goes into the desert is pretty good, too, because the devil was really taunting him. And, you know, he went to meditate and to get closer to God because he knew it was coming. Like he knew he was going to have to give his life up soon. And I mean, it's like, cause it's kind of a metaphor or, or like how we are with life. Like there's always stuff coming down the line, you know, that he, I think at that point he was just being very aware of life and what he had to do and, um, and how it kind of works in connection with this Napoleon Hill book, because this negative force was taunting him. Like you said earlier, just like throw yourself off the cliff. I'm sure your God will save you. You know, he was just being a jerk to him. And um, I don't know. I think like <clears throat> just his time out there alone and it in, in a weird way, it kind of reminds me of the old Kung Fu TV show, you know, where he just kind of like spent all his time by himself. And but he meditated and he, he like focused inward a lot to me, I think is really important because whenever I feel overwhelmed about stuff, like I always just kind of find time to go do that and just step aside and he realized, and he knew, I mean, he knew beyond, you know, a shadow of a doubt or anything like who this negative force was. And he had no power over him. And he just knew he was just messing with him. And he was like, 
just worship me, you know? And that's what this thing's doing in this book. It's, you know, Napoleon Hill is showing like all the different ways that he tempts us and, and tempts is almost even a word that throws us off. Cause it's like all the different ways that he tricks us into falling into like these snares and these things that he tricks us up with. Um, where like he knew that and he was like, you know, you, I'm not going to do that. He's like, just follow me and I'll give you all the kingdoms in this planet. As far as you can see, I'll give it to you. And he's like, yeah. you, you can't give this to me. He's like, it's, you know, I already own this. You can't give something to me that I already own. And I think so that's, it is a, it is a form of tricking you out of your own power, right? It is. And that's what the whole book's about. It's he's trying to trick us all this negative energy and vibration in the universe tries to trick us away from realizing who we are and the powers yeah. that we have. And I think that point in the Bible, when he went up by himself, I think just, just kind of, to me, is one of my favorite par parts because he just, he separated himself from all that foolishness, you know, or from all the stuff. Yeah. And he just kind of got away from it a little bit, you know. And then the other part was what we're talking about. He claimed his power. Yeah. yeah, he claimed, right. He claimed, he reclaimed his power. And he's like, all right, I know what I have to do. I'm going to do it. And he didn't use food because you know, he didn't eat for like 30 days. He just drank. Um, which is which is a testament to what we talked about, how food influences your thoughts, mm -hmm, yeah. how your environment influences your thoughts. Right. That's what he says in the book. Like, yeah. until you can think for yourself, your environment will think for you. Right. Like, right. It will. So that's great. Eddie. That feels that feels like a good way to wrap it up. I appreciate you coming on and talking about this book. Yeah. And, and your um, interpretation is great. It, it's, it, it's enlightening just to hear your interpretation of this, having the Bible, you know, the history of, of, of understanding the Bible and reading it and interpreting it. This was a really great conversation about, you know, a new, a new outlook on what the devil is and what negative thoughts are in our life. Right. It's not the big scary monster. It's a negative force that we have control over that we never thought we had control over. We didn't realize and what it can, was. And it's actually here for, for a purpose to, to make us realize our power. And once we take our power back, yeah. um, life will start to unfold from whatever we think about at that point, which will usually be, you know, finding your purpose or, or becoming interested in something and understanding. If you visualize, like you said, the mountain moving, if you can visualize the thing you're passionate about coming to be, you'll start to, you'll start to experience your life unfolding the way you choose it to like, you'll be the creator you came here to be. Right. And I think a lot of people have a hard time with that. Like, and that can be for another completely different time, but like people have a hard time just trying to figure out, I don't know what my purpose is. I don't know what I'm supposed to be. I don't know what my passion is. Like, like he even says it in the book. I make people pick the first job that they can take for security out of fear. I use fear to make them just grab the first thing that they can grab instead of really finding their purpose of who they really, really are. And that creative thing that they're made to be, I try to like never let them find that because then that's. Yeah. And, and once, but once you quiet the voice of the devil, mm -hmm. that voice that has the thing that you're passionate about is very clear. Yeah. It's only when the devil is in your mind that you can't, connect to that thing and that thing actually comes is is being broadcast to you all the time all the like time. i tell people if you just wake up and you think about the first thing 
that makes you feel good, that makes you feel excited, if you do that first thing, even if it's making a cup of coffee, yeah, that's the first step towards the thing that you're supposed to be doing that day that has your power in it, that has your passion attached to it. Like it's literally like just one step after the other, but you have to go towards the thing that feels exciting. And if you have to go to work, how can you ever go towards the thing that makes you feel excited? Right. You can't. It, you're immediately not. You're immediately going left when right is everything you've asked for. Right. Because you're at work and you're doing reports and you're doing spreadsheets and you're making sure your boss is happy and your your numbers are right and everything's good. It's all this stuff that weighs us down with all this stress and weight of performing of, you know, like bouncing a, a, a rubber ball on your nose like a trained seal. You know, you don't really get to do what you're supposed to do. You fell for the lie. Yeah. And as long as you're going to work and you're doing a job you don't want to do, you are falling for the lie. Right. You are. And it's and the only reason you fall for that lie is through fear, because fear of exactly. I can't do it. I can't do anything else. Or I, I don't even know if people even think they can't do anything else. I think it's just out of fear of getting something. OK, I've got mine. I'm secure. OK, good. Now I'm safe. I'm good. I'm good. Yeah. I've got this. Okay. Fear of death, really. I mean, I think that's where you can track everything back to I go to work because if I don't go to work, I can't pay my bills. If I can't pay my bills, I can't, I won't have shelter over my head and I won't be able to eat and then I'll die. Right. Right. Yeah. The end result is I'm going to die. I'm going to die. And if I die, I don't know what's going to happen. I'm afraid of that. But once you can sort of get straight with, you know, that's why people don't talk about these big they don't ask the big questions. Nobody wants to go deep. They want to be surface a lot because if you go deep, you'll start to uncover like, you know, what happens when you die? I don't know. Your soul could be taken over and absorbed into the devil. That's scary. That's scary right. And it's like, <laughs> but what then if your, your, your soul is absorbed into God, into light and we go back? Cause I That's think right. there's a point in the Bible that says in the end, we all go back into him. We all get absorbed back into we light. We do. We have yeah, to. Exactly. We have, we have we to. Do. There's no, if you get absorbed into the devil after you die, I'm sure you just come back as a baby. You're unconscious. And then you have a chance through that life. Again. Maybe the circumstances become different or harder or whatever. Mm -hmm. You have another opportunity to step into conscious awareness and then experience not dying in the grips of hypnotic rhythm. I think you die in a hypnotic rhythm. You probably come back in hypnotic yeah, rhythm. Yeah, you're, you're like basically like living in the matrix. That's it. That's you it. Know? That's exactly right. All right, Eddie, that's a great way to, to yep. end it with a matrix. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thanks so All much, right, Eddie. And we'll talk, talk again. again. All right. Bye. Bye.